podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger Podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. When I went out to the Caribbean last time to Barbados, um, Cedric of the Tourism Authority um, took me. We, we went around the the museum, very good museum next to uh, yes, um, around in Bridgetown. It? Desi Haynes was was running that now. I think he's he's got other things on his plate at the moment. But the uh, yes. he, he, Cedric showed me this big box radio thing. We said that that was in every house. We used to yes. listen to the cricket on that when we were kids. You know, it was... the, the Red Fusion box. So, so, you know, everyone was listening to it in 1950 when West Indies won. You know, Lance Gibbs tells the story of crouching by his wireless and, you know, yeah. you know, it, it, was, it was one of the things actually that united the Caribbean in that cricket was one of the first things that was on radio all across the Caribbean. There's a story I quite like of two uh, American academics who came to the University of the West Indies in the 1960s. And when they first came, they saw these people with earpieces on campus. You know, because they were American, they couldn't understand what's going on. Is there a widespread hearing disability? And of course, everyone was listening to the cricket. And it's still a feature, isn't it? When you go to the Caribbean, as, as I know you have, I remember I was lucky enough to go on the tour, you know, when Hoggard took the hat trick in Barbados. And we went to the warm-up game at the university. There were still warm-up games in those mm-hmm. days. I think, I think Graham Thorpe got a century, if I'm not mistaken. I can't quite remember. But what was interesting was the crowd there Almost all of them were listing it was the Shell Shield final between Jamaica and Barbados. Yeah. So, you know, the locals there were not, they were hardly watching the England game. They were all listening to the radio. You know, that, that, that's an important thing. But to get back to the point, unfortunately, there's no, I haven't been able to find any archive of the radio either. Uh, mm. Swanton gave 50 minute summaries back to the light programme here in Britain. That was one of the, he'd done it from South Africa before the war, but that's one of the first times that had happened. You know, we, all we have to go on now is the, re, the memories of the players and the newspaper reports. And so, you know, often you're not quite sure who's telling the truth or whether they even know themselves, you know, what, what happened. You're absolutely right. We can't go back and play the replays 20 times. When Locke was called for for chucking, effectively, mm-hmm. what was the um, fallout from that? Was he suspended? Did England protest? How, how did that manifest yeah, Well, itself? it happened twice, James. So in the first test, <laughs> I mean, he hadn't helped himself because <clears throat> the local hero, George Headley, he was 44, he was brought back by public subscription by the Jamaicans to play in that game. Of course, people in the other islands weren't very pleased about that at all. But the white captain, Jeff Stolmeyer, was a, was a massive disciple of Headley. He was very keen for him to play. And in the second innings, uh, there was some trouble in the first innings involving Truman, which we might not have time for. But the second innings, Locke bowled him third ball with, I think, what Godfrey Evans described as a thunderbolt. You know, it, it, I think no one is suggesting it wasn't quite, quite a quick ball. And funnily enough, in the next over, one of the umpires no-balled him. And that's the first time the 20th century, it happened once in the 19th century, the first time the 20th century someone was called for, for throwing. And I think the England players kind of half, accept, particularly actually, funny enough, his fellow spinners, Johnny Wardle and Jim Laker, were certainly of the view he might have chucked his cricket ball. But no, nothing, I mean, the English players complained because he hadn't had a warning. And then when it came to the Barbados, well, in those days it was called the Colony Game, where Sabres was batting, lot bold Sabres and the umpire Again, no balled him. And the English players were particularly upset because the umpire was Harold Walcott. He was Clyde Walcott's uncle. So you know, they, they kind of naturally, I suppose. I mean, Walcott, I think, was a good umpire. He'd given out Clyde 
on 94 in the test match the previous year. So, you know, I don't think he was a particularly biased man. But the England players were very angry. Lot lost his temper, you know, had to sort of try to control himself, was clearly very upset. But there was no suspension or anything like that. He carried on through the series. He just didn't bowl his quicker ball so often. So his figures were very good in the first test. You know, it definitely affected him and he didn't get his rhythm back till much later on. But there was there was no question of England not playing him or of um, action being taken. I think he just prudently didn't bowl his quicker ball as much and, and on we went. You are listening to the Cricket Badger podcast. It's quite hard for a standing umpire, I guess, to look to his left to see if the action's right. Relying heavily on square leg there. Or to, you yes, indeed. But it was the square leg umpire who called it. So, right. you know, immediately the crowd, who were very knowledgeable at Sabina Park, knew it was... I mean, the umpire didn't help matters by sticking his... by sort of doing a chuck gesture as well. But um, the crowd knew instantly it was for chucking because it was... in. Of course, nowadays, you know, the square, nowadays for those um, ones in one-day cricket, where is it above waist height? It mm. used to be the square leg umpire, didn't it? I think it is now the, the standing umpire who calls that. But it was the square leg umpire who called the, the throw. Um, and it, so it happened to him four times in Barbados. And it was definitely one of the things that led to, you know, some of the difficulties of the atmosphere. Why is there ambiguity? Um, there was uh, a, an occasion on the trip where um, one of the local umpires, Cecil uh, Kip, Kip, Kippins, is it? Um, yeah. it? It was called a cheating black bee basically. Yes. Um, and there's ambiguity as to whether it's either Freddie Truman or Johnny Wardle that called him yes. that. How, how is that not identifiable? I don't get that. Yes, well, um, I felt I couldn't <clears throat> call it, you know, in, in the, I think there's no doubt that those words were used. And even in 1954, although I think it is a part of Yorkshire discourse of that time to sort of use that sort of language, sometimes not in a deliberately offensive way. I think everyone was clear that was offensive and unacceptable, even in 1954. So the question was, who said it? So Hutton certainly uh, said in his captain's report it was Truman. Uh, I talked to someone from um, Guyana. He was there, very nice chap called uh, Robin Wishart, who said he saw Truman almost spitting at the umpire, you know, in his general direction. So that was the general assumption. But... I don't know if you remember that very good book by Chris Waters of the Yorkshire Post on mm-hmm. Truman, the biography yeah. he did about 10 years ago. He actually tracked down umpire Kippins. He was living in America. And umpire Kippins said it was Wardle. And that oh, wouldn't okay. surprise me either. In that, you know, Wardle was, yeah. Wardle was quite famous for, for – um, he was famous for being a great clown on the field, but he was also famous for sometimes using rather offensive language, be it to, you know, posh people or, or whoever it might be. It's difficult. So that's why the, you know – who was it? And I, I've looked at lots of newspaper reports, lots of accounts. I'm not sure. I, I have to say, I think the balance of probabilities is that it was Truman because umpire Kippins and Truman got on a lot better on the next tour. You know, they had a much better relationship. They did a bit of planning for the crowd. And I think there may have been some selective memory. And Truman definitely on that tour, I'm afraid, as a young man, I mean, he said himself, apart from playing cricket matches, he'd never been further than Cleethorpes in his life. You know, he was thrown into this very... Um, volatile situation and of course being a Yorkshireman of that particular type he called you know he was fairly direct let's say and I think there were a few incidents on tour of him saying things that perhaps he wouldn't have wanted to say if he'd if he'd thought about them it's, it's, so, it's, it's, it's a very difficult one isn't it because yeah. 1950s Britain was a very different Britain Absolutely. than it is today I mean it's no excuse for any of that but yeah I mean I grew up 
late seventies, early eighties, when Love Thy Neighbor and all these kind of things yes, were on TV, and, and it was yeah. commonplace, wasn't it, for sitcoms to have absolutely. the black guy being the laughing stock yeah. and all that kind of thing. So, I, I just it, say, it, I think, I think even then, to do that sort of thing mm. on the field, of, well, anywhere, of course, but you know, I think it was accepted that it was it was not correct. But I think you're absolutely right. That's the background. I mean, I, I put some background in the book. You know, um, Charlie Williams, a comedian. Who, of course, many people would 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 see as sort of unfortunately sort of propagating that kind of thing. You know, he played for Doncaster Rovers. You know, not far from where Wardle and Treeman were born, and he was regularly called a black bee um, when he played. played you, got football. The, you, you got the guys coming through at West Brom, haven't you? The Cyril Regis, and, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a bit later. Uh, you know, you've and, got and, 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 you know, bananas thrown at them and reg, on a regular basis. Yes, I mean, I think we we can't pretend that it wasn't. I'm afraid prevalent in British society at that time and of course there were fewer migrants and even just generally you you know I'm not saying this is necessarily just Yorkshire people but you know Johnny Wardle used to tell a story um, about Sellers Brian Sellers the great captain of Yorkshire using the b word in sort of any context you know I think the first time he met Tony Lewis he said now then you little Welsh b and he was trying to be nice you know you know so it's a it's a treacherous area isn't no, that, it? that was his term of endearment was it yes exactly yeah. so it's a treacherous area that one must call out what was clearly wrong and what I think even they would have known was wrong at that point. But there is a background to it. I mean, I quote a guy in the book called Keith Thomas, who was a, he became an Oxbridge Don, you know, he's, he's a great historian of the um, uh, Renaissance period, I think, or even later than that, you know. And he did his national service in Jamaica at about this time. And he admits that looking at his letters that he sent back home to his mum, that, you know, his views that were expressed in those letters were, you know, bordering on racist. They, they, they viewed the, you know, the Jamaican population as feckless and lazy and all the, all the cliches that, that, you know, stereotypes. That, well, that was know. one of the um, stereotypes of the West Indies cricket team, wasn't it, at the time, that they Absolutely. they didn't really care enough. They were just out for a good time. They were too lazy or laconic or whatever to actually really yes. care about winning matches. Yes. And so even in 1950, of course, you know, it, it, we're very familiar with it now from the things like Fire in Babylon that are so interesting about the later period of Lloyd and Richards. Even then, you know, people like Everton Weeks, Frank Worrell, they didn't like this Calypso cricketer type of cliche and stereotype. Badges are furry creatures. 85% of women badges think bad grooming is a major turn-off. 80% of women badges think men should trim below the belt. 89% of men think good grooming is essential to the professional success. Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Get on there, manscaped.com. Check out their great range of male grooming accessories. Hygiene, appearance, attractiveness, confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com. Quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com. Together, we save balls. It strikes me they've used that as a as a, a sort of something to galvanise a little bit of fight and a bit more steel, and we're going to show you guys now what yes. we can do. We're going to going to take you down a peg or two. Yes, um, I think there was definitely that element. So you know they could play cricket just as hard as the English on this tour. Um, their one fast bowler, Frank King, put Jim Laker in hospital with with persistent short pitch bowling, and Frank Worrell was actually captain when that happened because Stolmeyer had been injured. Hmm. So I think you're right that that there's a very proud tradition in Caribbean cricket of saying, look, we're not only talented cricketers, 
but we're just as capable of good team spirit and of intelligent captaincy and you know all the things that you I'm afraid because of these stereotypes that have been in place for so long and obviously the Michael Holding uh, work on that is so important. I mean, uh, one irony is, you know, Leary Constantine, who was living in England at that point, he wrote a book in the very year of this tour called Colour Bar. And if you take away a few local details, he's saying exactly the same thing that Michael Holding's saying today. You, yeah. you know, um, one wonders sometimes how much things have changed, although some things, thank goodness, have changed. I, I, th- I think things have changed, but I think it's still very much there. It's just there in a different guise, I think, at times. I think it's more kind of, I quote the Jamaican writer Stuart Hall in the book, you know, about some of this sort of racial stereotyping or prejudice is sedimented, isn't it? I think that's the point Michael Holding's making, that we have moved on, one hopes, from, although we haven't quite, James, have we, sadly, but, but one hopes it's only a very small minority who would shout black beer at a cricket match. But, you know, all of us are capable of having sedimented stereotypes somewhere in our being because of years and years of them existing mm. you know in fact all of us are capable of prejudice to be fair you know even in the in the west indies the um different oh, i think i think that's that's definitely true that you know it, it comes from both sides uh, of the uh, of the fence and mm. it's it's about i think uh, yeah getting off on the tangent a little bit it's about opening things up and being a little bit yes. more but and actually talking about it more because I think I think for too long right. it was seen to be obviously oh that's bad but I don't want to talk about this because yeah. I might get myself into trouble and yeah. you know and and whatever else whereas I think the the, the healthy way of actually Absolutely. dealing with all of this is I think it's about, actually just discussing it all the time. I mean, that's, the, it's not the reason I sort of wrote the book in the sense I felt the material of the book was important, but it has obviously become more topical than I'd expected. And I do think, I'd say, I think it's important to make the point that everybody is capable of prejudice. I think one of the impressive things about Azim Rafiq is because of that very unfortunate thing he said, he stood up straight away and said sorry properly and has sought to learn, you know, learn better. I thought that was striking, whereas some people on the other side have not done that. No. And I think the burden is, I'm afraid, upon to put it bluntly, white people, to understand the history better. Nothing annoys me more than this thing about, oh, we're erasing our history by looking into some of these long-standing issues. On the contrary, you know, we're not erasing our history. We're trying to understand it and learn it better. I think that's and, why Ryan Sidebottom's comments caught the uh, the headlines because he was talking about forgetting the Yorkshire stuff. That That's not what we need to do. We need to yeah. remember everything that's gone wrong. We need to learn from everything yeah. that's gone wrong and move forward, hopefully, with a fresher, a yeah. fresher, better perspective on, on, the, on things. And, and these things are so tricky, aren't they, in terms of the balance? You know, you're involved in Yorkshire cricket. I learned my cricket in Yorkshire, in Hull. I'm actually a Worcestershire fan because of my family connection. You know, I, I love Yorkshire cricket. Yorkshire cricket has so many things it can be proud of. The traditions of Hutton, of Sutcliffe, of, of you know, Hurst, that, that sort of exceptionalism is something they can be very proud of and something that, that has a long history that so many great writers have written about, like Neville Cardus and Duncan Hamilton and so on and so forth. But on the other side of the coin, you know, one has to recognise that there is a, a sort of bad undercurrent there. Um, obviously, some of it was directed against MCC in Middlesex and things like that, which is, you know, some of the, in inverted commas, banter that's been long running, while people might not have known better in the 1930s. You know, we do have to try to educate ourselves to get through that. So it's a question of getting the balance, isn't it? You know, oh, if, if if you call somebody the P word or or the N word yeah. or anything these days, you can't look at anybody and say, "I didn't know I was doing wrong with that." Yes, it's just yeah. Everybody knows where the, everybody knows where that line is. And what's yes. an, what's well, as I would say, in 1954, James. That's the interesting thing. 
<clears throat> I can't absolutely prove this, but I would say the N word in 1954. You know, if you asked a, a typical British person, I mean, Ron Atkinson was 11, was he, in 1954? You know, if you asked them whether the N word was worse than the F word, I think a typical British person would mm. say the F word was more offensive. So at least we've come somewhere in the sense that the N word is now, you know, just take, it's just taken us sixty-five years or whatever it is to, you know, to get the there. The N word was, as you may remember, was still being used in by-election campaigns in the early nineteen sixties. You know, it was mm. actually being printed on on official, well, semi-official, you know, party political pamphlets. Yeah, so we have come some way in the sense that you know, when you and I were young in York, you know, certainly when I was young in Yorkshire, I'm afraid the P word was was used. You know, I, I heard some of my teachers use the P word. Mm. You know, we we had people of Asian backgrounds at the school. And I have to say the 1970s, you know, the fact of the matter was it was used thoughtlessly uh, and regularly. So I, I suppose we have made progress in that those words are now beyond the pale. And sometimes people say, well, does it really matter? You know, these little things like, in inverted commas, little things like, you know, language used in a, in a bit of banter. Well, I think they do, don't they? Because I think this would be an example of what you were saying earlier. It might not be overtly prejudiced, but it is still carrying, you know, they, those completely wrong kind of stereotypical views of... of... I, th- I thought Lord Patel summed up very nicely on in the DCMS hearing the, a couple of days ago, um, where he basically said, you know, if you don't want your brother, don't want your mother, don't want your, your, your sister to be called those names, then why would you call anybody else that? It's about respect, yes. isn't it? It's about understanding each yeah. other and about respecting yeah. each other as as level human beings yes. rather than actually trying to use that, that language to try and pretend you're better than somebody and, else. Uh, and this is where sport is quite interesting, isn't it? I mean, this is, I suppose, one of the underlying themes of my book and, and um, of, of some other books that are being written about cricket at the moment. You know, sport can bring people together so much. It's such a, a bridge-building thing. I mean, certainly in the West Indies, for all the faults that happened, and of course there was a long... In this tour, you know, it's a bit hard sometimes for the West Indian team to be unified because white players get in the side when perhaps they shouldn't be there on merit, although I think Jeff Stolmeyer was there on merit. But, you know, you know, that's a clear difficulty. But it can bring people together. It certainly did lots of things in terms of Caribbean society, one thinks about South Africa in recent years. But on the other hand, sport is tribal, isn't it? You know, I mean, we've all been on the terraces and, you know, that, you know, it's a tribal thing where you do, it's us against them. So sport has this great capacity, I think, when it's, when it's doing well for, for, for bringing people together and hopefully getting rid of some of these terrible things that persist. But on the other hand, it does have that element of, you know, you know you're my enemy. I, I could never understand. Ne- I mean, I could never understand anybody shouting racist stuff from the terraces anyway, even back in the 70s mm. and 80s. But I could never understand people throwing um, bananas and what have you at the, the black right winger or whatever when you've got, you, you had on your own team yes. people of colour as well. It just made no yes. sense. You're thinking, what, what's that guy thinking when his own fans are actually doing that to the opposition and yeah. you're you're playing in that in their shirt? It's just ridic- ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I, I was a Hull FC um, season ticket holder when I was lived in Hull. You know, and I, I, I adore rugby league, but you know the the abuse, um, particularly wingers, got from the crowd was was just unbelievable, really. And I, I think you know we're slightly in denial about how bad it was and what dignity many of those players showed. You know, in oh, terms of they were getting abs- and This is true, incidentally, of Western Indian cricketers as well. Who, as a general rule, showed tremendous dignity in the face of of, of the racial prejudice they experienced. You know, considering the absolute abuse they got. For one of them not to do a cantonar or or, or oh, you know, 
you know, you'd want to, wouldn't you? You'd um, imagine that you'd imagine if you're subjected to that and it's it's going in yeah. your ears and it's it's constant and there's the bombardment, you'd think you'd want to take yeah. it into your own hands to actually yeah. kind of have the dignity, as you yeah. say, to you know, just look the other way and, and get on with it. It's and I don't yeah. I don't think the game did enough. No. It still doesn't, David, to be honest. It still doesn't. And I think, um, well, I've been talking on a number of different platforms about this. And I I think there's three reasons why any any organisation takes racism seriously. First one is if it's embarrassing you as a, an individual, as as the leader of that organisation, if it actually turns the spotlight on you and makes you look bad, then you take it seriously because it's bad PR for yourself. Second one is if it actually costs you money as an organisation, and obviously with Yorkshire, the sponsors withdrawing, what have you, um, started costing the club money. And the third thing is if it actually gets bigger than the, the organisation itself and p- politicians or something start getting involved and it blows up that way. Otherwise, it's very, very easy, I still think, in, the, in this day and age, as Yorkshire try to do, to actually sweep things under the carpet and pretend everything's okay. Yeah. And I think as we were saying before, you know, the, 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 the burden upon all of us is, is to because we've had centuries of stereotyping and whatever the right words are for the things that have happened you know the burden is on on us to to put that right the other way until such time we all want to get to a place don't we i mean clyde walcott once said that the pages of wisdom don't mention a man's color we all want to get to the point where where you know that that, that just everyone does that without thinking i mean i did see south africa in the last world cup i mean i know there's lots of issues in south african cricket don't let me say for a moment that um you know problems have been solved as we've just seen with 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 you know what happened in the last t20 but you know they did seem so comfortable with each other you know the south africans they didn't actually play very well <laughs> they actually lost most yeah. of their games but i saw them walking off when they beat australia you know and it seemed to me that that, that there was a genuine team spirit and camaraderie amongst them where it did you know, none of that mattered anymore i mean maybe i'm being very naive in in drawing that conclusion but that's where we all want to get to isn't it but it's tricky and difficult to get there with the right balances and the right... We all want to get there as quickly as we can. My name is Jacob and I sent the Badger a message and now I'm on the podcast with this jingle. If you would like to get in touch with the Cricket Badger podcast, then tweet at cricket underscore badger. I came across, I mean, it was the um, Holocaust remembrance day yesterday i came across a tremendous lady on um, on twitter called lucy lippiner um who is a holocaust survivor currently lives i think in new york um she's written a book which i actually just started reading um but the um she was saying that it wasn't necessarily that the fact that the nazis hated the jews and wanted to exterminate the jews that was the problem it was the fact that not enough people when that was starting to happen stood up and said you can't do that mm. and you know, I think that's still very relevant. That message of kind of if you see something happening, actually stand up and say you can't say that. That's wrong. Yes. I, th- I yes. still don't think enough people do that, and that's that's what's got to come into dressing rooms. It's got to come into organisations that if you hear somebody being called the p word or the n word or yeah something yes. you don't feel right about, and I've not, I've I've done it in the past. I've kind of walked away when I could have actually turned around and yes. said something. I think we all probably have done in our various. Uh, yes. We've got to start doing that and actually just turning around and saying, Steve, don't say that. That's just out of order. Or, you know, Richard, that's that's wrong. You know, I think that's that's the way that things have got to move forward because I think we can learn a lot from what's gone on in the past, which is why things like that Holocaust Remembrance Day and stuff like that, where we actually sit down and think about 
blimey, that's just horrendous. We can't have things like that mm. happening anymore. Well, we can't have things like that happening, even in smaller pockets in terms of racism and things these days. I think it's very important that we uh, we learn our lessons quickly on in terms of that kind of stuff. And I guess that, to, kind of to round off our chat, David, because mm. we've kind of gone off on a bit of a, yes, a racism tangent there, mm. but um, going back to that series in 1953-54, getting the impression from that that it was a little bit of a, a watershed in terms of the identity for the West Indies moving forward. Obviously, there's been plenty of tours to the Caribbean in the past. England are about to go there on a test tour again. Mike Gatting's nose being broken. Plenty of, you know, that yes. unfit pitch. Plenty of memories from recent trips. And not many of them that good in terms of uh, from an England perspective because West Indies have tended to have the upper hand. But the reason for that, I guess, is them finding that identity that came from series like the 53-54 yes. one. It was still a very slow process. I mean, I mean, at the end of the book, I... There are sort of two journeys, aren't there? There's Hutton's journey. So, of course, Hutton ends up winning in Australia, a remarkable achievement, particularly as he did a NASA Hussein and put them in at Brisbane and um, was 1 0 down. He's great cricketer. He's always going to be rem- remembered for that, isn't he? Well, he's in, he's in good company. He's in the same company as Len Hutton. But, you know, that I suppose was the triumph of Hutton. You know, that, that was saying a professional can do this. It was an easier task, of course, in Australia in terms of what was going on off the pitch. And Australians mm-hmm. identified with a professional captain. But, you know, CLR James certainly felt Hutton had sort of beaten MCC, as it were. I think Hutton was more interested in being Australia, but you know, that, that is his triumph. And then the book ends with Frank Worrell in 63, beating England in England 3 1 in a very exciting series, you know, and, and bringing, I think he did a tremendous amount. Of course, it was in a very interesting time in England. We've got the Profumo affair, all that sort of thing, where deference to the establishment is ending. But when, where, where Frank Worrell is saying, look, I'm the first black man who's been given a chance to captain West Indies, and look how well I've done it. So there's a triumph, too. But it took a long time. And that, that, that kind of, I guess that all led to the Tony Gregg grovel comments yes. and everything else. And, and I, I've often thought with the Tony Gregg comment that that was, yes, a ridiculous thing to say. Mm. And it was has harks back to kind of slavery yeah. and all the rest of it. But he said that because West Indies were getting so good, didn't he? Yes. I mean, again, we're on treacherous ground, aren't we? And so it's often been discussed in the sense of people's intent. I mean, there's no doubt it was a stupid thing to say. And of course, it fired the West Indies up. It's very well documented. It was you know the easiest thing they had to do was to pin that up on the dressing room wall metaphorically. Yeah. They may even have done it literally. You know, I, I think it was a thoughtless rather than a deliberately incendiary thing. But of course, with Tony Gregg's background, it was so well advised. And I think there is definitely a, a, an important strain in West Indian cricket that's that's always still today. You know, fighting against that sort of thing. And obviously, in the great period of Lloyd and Richards, you know, uh, revenge is the wrong word. Um, but, you know, there was certainly a sense of great pride in sort of uh, 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 um, a region of only six or seven million people yeah. being better at something than everybody else in the world. Yeah. You know, so what, of course, is very sad. And there's all kinds of complicated reasons for that. And you've been to the region, you know, you know it probably better than I, is how West Indies cricket, you know, is, has not really very often with a few honourable moments, a few great moments, been in a very good place. And that the great... I mean, there was, in fairness, at the time I'm writing, a prejudice against the smaller islands. You know, that was wrong. You know, Grenada, if you were from Grenada or Antigua, as Richards and Roberts were, in 1954, you had very little chance of making the side. But by the same token, you know, these great centres of cricket, Trinidad, Guyana, Jamaica, places that have produced these wonderful cricketers and wonderful test matches over the years, very rarely get a test match, or certainly an England test match. I don't think England have played any of those venues this century. I mean, that Mm. to me seems like an act of cultural vandalism. 
you know, people say, oh, well, security or the crowds won't be big or whatever, whatever. Surely, um, sorry, I'm, we've been covering quite a bit of ground, haven't we? And sort of going off tangent a bit. I'm probably being far too um, uh, sort of, what's the word, um, evan- evangelical about it. But I think that is just wrong. You yeah. know, just in the same way our counties, that, you know, we, we better not open that debate. Either. There's 150 years of history there. Yeah, how long? How long have you got? <laughs> we're going to open, you know, city franchise where people come in every every year to play, and there's no stability in the team or no sense of community in it. I know this might sound ludicrously old. I sound like E.W. Swanson, but you know, again, it's a question of getting balance, isn't it? We want mm. cricket to be a progressive game played by as many people as possible. And what's happening? People, because with- I've been very vocal against the hundred, uh, still am. Um, although I've kind of given up to a degree because it's here now. But the um, I I. I it's, people kind of say, oh, you f- you're a fuddy-duddy or you're just wanting to get yeah. back to the 70s and 80s and all that kind of stuff. And it's not that at all because I'm very into T20 franchises. I watch yes. a lot of the tournaments. I, li- I love the white ball yes. stuff. It, no, it, it's, it's, to me, it's about a stick of rock and that, that white and red stripe of going through the summer where they're yeah. all treated equally and they're both given priority. Yeah. Again, James, it's a question like what we were talking about earlier about these very difficult issues that not just cricket, society has to confront. In cricket, it's a question of balance, isn't it? I don't think people like you and me who are more traditional in that sense are saying that cricket shouldn't progress and, and we have to have a think about structures and, and all the rest of it. But um, there is a tradition in the game and not all of that. Some of that tradition, of course, led to some very bad things, but not all of that tradition is bad. And surely the tradition in the West, in the Caribbean, you know, in these, in these places that have seen so much great cricket, for them never to play England in a test match Seems to me wrong. Uh, it yeah. just seems you know, that, that some is that similar to those issues in about whether we should tour Pakistan and all those sort of things. The irony is that in the 1950s, the MCC probably caused a lot of damage by its obsession with sort of patronising, civilising mission. I mean, now we don't think about it enough. Absolutely. And I mean, the way we've gone off on a tangent, I guess, and the way that we've talked about this book is because there are so many different strands to this book. It's about the tour. It's about the cricket. It's about the personalities that are playing for both sides but it's about all of those different controversies and di- those different strands that came from that so to round off tell people how they can uh, get that i'll cover my ugly mug and you can tell people david <laughs> how they can they can buy it well it's, it's very kind of you yeah. so uh, probably the easiest way is to go onto the night watchman website nightwatchman.net where there's a, a reader offer on the book that, that's the easiest way to get it directly but i think it is in some shops and so forth uh, it's one I will definitely be finishing. I, I, I get some quite a lot of books to um, to read and to uh, get people on the podcast for. I'm not a, I'm not a massive reader, and um, although I love reading, I, there's so many different distractions these days in terms of Twitter and TV and radio and things to do. But I got got really into that over the last couple of weeks, and I will definitely finish it off. It's very well written, and it's a very very interesting tour, which is, as I say, I did not know anything about. Certainly, uh, I know I know the people involved, but didn't know too much about the the tours. But David stuck it all into that book. It's between those covers, and it's well worth a read, listeners and viewers. So, uh, who only cricket know? Hutton's Men in the West Indies, 1950. 5354 by David Woodhouse available now and thank you David for joining me on the pod thank you for having me on I hope I haven't pontificated too much you've pontificated fine we'll have you back on to talk about other things in the future I'm sure as uh, we go through on the Cricket Badger podcast reaching or nearing our 500th edition still haven't quite worked out how I'm going to celebrate that we'll celebrate it in style though I promise you that we've got plenty of cricket around the corner got the IPL draft we'll be having I'm mean, talking about balance and talking about uh, I love the IPL we've done a daily podcast on the IPL for the last two seasons and we'll be doing well depending if, if it 
gets any longer, I might have to review that process, but uh, it's quite a commitment. But um, hopefully we'll be doing that again this season as well. And the IPL auction, 12th and 13th, I think, of February. That uh, 14th, we'll be announcing the first four people to be, be inducted into the set of fame. Cricket lovers everywhere, um, stay tuned. I always think with cricket, there's a lot of people like David who know all these things, then write all these great books, and they, they have encyclopedic brains. But I think enthusiasm in cricket gets you a long way. And people actually really love the sport and just you know pass that on in some way shape or other that's what those awards will be that's uh, kind of rewarding people who just love cricket it's a good thing loving cricket is never a bad thing david thank you very much again thanks everybody for listening and for watching and we'll be with you again very soon indeed thanks everybody Podcast Network.